The Christian philosopher Dallas Willard once called hurry the great enemy of spiritual life in our day and said, quote, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. The longer that I sit with Willard's thesis, that hurry is the great enemy, that it's the issue underneath so many of the other issues of our day and age, from outrage culture to chronic anxiety to the epidemic of burnout, the rise of loneliness and the breakdown of the family and the social cohesion and political polarization, so many things, the more I think that he was on to something. Hey, good morning, church. Let's pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, enter in. Come to us. Enter in. We are a hurried people, and so help us slow down enough to uh, just hear the Word of God today. Uh, Quiet our anxious hearts and our racing minds so that we may learn from Jesus, and in so doing, we would find rest for our souls. Uh, Amen. Okay, well, I'm not exactly sure who uh, wrote this fable that you were about to hear. As far as I can tell, uh, it's been attributed to a couple of different authors. It's called The Keeper of the Stream, and it begins this way. There once was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of this beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were as old as the earth, and as deep as the sea, the water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and, and sand and rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. Now, high in the hills and beyond anyone's sight, there lived an old man. And he served as the keeper of the stream. Uh, He had been hired so long ago that no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to the next, uh, you know, in the hills there, removing branches and and, uh, fallen leaves and debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. Well, one year, the town council got together and uh, they decided that they had better things to do with their money. You know, no one supervised this old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and and services to offer. And and so just giving money, throwing money away at this unseen uh, stream cleaner had become just a luxury that they could no longer afford. And so the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went unattended. Uh, Twigs and branches and, and gunk muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed, and farm waste turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water just wasn't the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live somewhere else. The the water was no longer, it had that crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some people in town even became ill. All noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the stream that fed into the town. The life of the village dependent upon the stream and the life of the stream dependent upon the keeper. Well, the city council reconvened, and guess what? The money was found, and the old man was rehired. 
And after some time, the springs were cleaned, the stream was pure, children played on its banks, illness was replaced by health, the swans came home, and the village came back to life. The end. Here's the connection. The life of the village depended upon the health of the stream. Okay, what does that mean for you and me? Well, according to Pastor John Ortberg, the stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. You are the keeper of your soul. Now, I'm not talking about being saved. No, that, that is the Holy Spirit's job. I'm talking about the difference between a deep, satisfied, active life of faith versus one that is unhealthy and neglected and just kind of clogged up with a whole bunch of gunk. And you know it. We live in a time and in a place that just comes with a whole lot of gunk. The ongoing blaring message, it's really about more. If you pay attention, it's about more. Getting more. Buying more, doing more, working more, taking in more info, more activities for you and your children, more and more and more and more and more. And so we live in an age of busy. We're very hurried people. We are people who, in general, by and large, have just neglected the care for our soul. And it's not without its consequence. Huh. So let's do something about it. The stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. Our, our message series is called Unhurried, and it's based on this book by John Mark Homer, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is about how to stay emotionally healthy and spiritually active, you know, in the chaos of this modern world. And I would recommend it to you highly. We need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives, and here's why. As the author points out, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Uh, hurry can destroy our souls and just keep us from really living well. Now, now, for many of us, the great danger is not that, you know, we're going to renounce our faith and walk away from it completely. No, it's not that. No, the danger is that we will become so distracted and so preoccupied with something that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. Now, just to be clear, there is a big difference between being busy and being hurried. Being busy is a condition of the body having many things to do, while hurry is a condition of the soul, which means we can't be fully present because we're so preoccupied. We can't be with God or really with anyone else. Jesus was often busy, but he was never hurried. You see, for most of us, we're probably not going to be able to get rid of busy anytime soon. But we can get rid of hurry. Now, I'll tell you, the solution is straightforward, and here it is. Your soul needs to be with God. 
That is the one thing that is needed. The soul needs to be with God. As St. Augustine put it, oh Lord, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You may be familiar, I'm sure you are, I guess, I don't know the story. It's a, it's a good one, but it's an oldie. About Mary, these two sisters, Mary and Martha, you know. Mary, she sat at the Lord's feet, just kind of listening, taking in Jesus and everything he had to say. But Martha was distracted. That word there, distracted, let me translate it for you. Poor Martha was distracted, which means she was running around. She was getting pulled in many different directions. That's what that means. Pulled in many different directions. Can you relate? All right. She was. She was doing and moving and hustling and serving, and she's just rushing about. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she comes up to Jesus, and she says, Lord, don't you care? That cracks me up. She's talking to Jesus. Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? That's how you know the Bible's true, because that is real, isn't it? That is something that somebody would actually say. Lord, don't you care that she ain't helping me with stuff? Tell her to help me. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha. And every time Jesus says something twice, like in a row like that, that means, oh, pay attention. Like when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when he goes, Martha, Martha, dear Martha, oh, I love you. I love you, but you're a maniac. You are worried. You are upset about many things. I, I get it. But only one thing is needed. And you know what? This time, Mary, she just picked the right thing. And I'm not going to take it away from her. So one, one thing is needed. Martha was hurried from doing a lot of things. But get this. They're all really good things. Right? Serving. That's a good thing. Hospitality. That's a good thing. Hosting. Good thing. Working. Good thing. In fact, if you read all of Luke chapter 10, which is where this is found, Luke 10, check it out. You're going to see that Jesus really spends a whole chapter encouraging doing good things. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I need some workers. And then he sends out 72 of his followers to go into the harvest field and heal people and serve people and tell people about the good news of my kingdom. And if you keep on reading Luke chapter 10, you'll see it there. He tells a story about a good Samaritan who gets off his donkey and he cares for his neighbor. And he's commended for being the one guy in the story who actually did something. Very good things. Now, Jesus would have us do, but first things first. There's a best thing. Your soul needs to be with God. You and I need to spend time with Jesus. Otherwise, we ain't going to be that much help to anybody. Because, this might sound harsh, but here it is. Because hurried people can't love. Or I'll, I'll soften it a little. I'll say hurried people can't love very well. And I ripped that off from John Ortberg, who says hurried people can't love. Because, think about this, hurriedness kills love. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life because it's all about love, right? Hurry, really, think about it, is really what 
comes before your anger and your frustration, right? Think about this. Every time you like tee off on someone or something, think about what you were doing ahead of like just before that. And I bet, I can almost guarantee it. Here's how it works for me. It's because I was running around like a lunatic and I flip out on something or someone and it's so related. Hurry prevents us from receiving love from our Lord or giving it away to his children. And that's why Jesus never hurried. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we must ruthlessly, ruthlessly, great word, like get after it. Take, go on offense. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives because by definition, we can't move faster than the one we're following. We can't move faster than the one we're following. You see, love has a speed. Love has a spiritual speed. The great Japanese theologian, Kosuke Kayama, ha ha. He says this, the speed of love is three miles an hour. That's walking speed. We follow a three mile an hour God. God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Now, in the beginning, God created the heavens, the earth, the world, and then he planted this garden. Then God created man and, and woman because he just wanted to be in relationship. He didn't need to. He just wanted to be in relationship with these people. He wanted to enjoy being with them. He wanted them to enjoy being with him and with one another. Then comes the fall into sin, and our soul just gets gunked up, clogged. But then we read this most wonderful thing. This is one of my favorite parts in the whole Bible. This description of who God is. I just love it. I'll, I'll prove it. Here's a picture of my Bible. The big heart there. Beautiful God. Grace. It's Genesis 3, 8. The, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day unhurried three miles an hour god the first two humans had literally ruined the whole world but god he has not seen storming he is not stomping. He is not throwing thunderbolts. He is not raving. No, he is walking in the cool of the day. It's a remarkable description of who God is because walking is something you do with somebody you care about. A friend with a friend, a child with a parent, Two people in love, they go for a walk. And it's interesting to go on a walk with someone because it's really not about the walk. It's about being with someone. And our God wants to be with us. He wants relationship 
with us. Our souls were made for this, to be with God. And the way in which we walk with God is through prayer. Great quote here, Julian. Prayer unites the soul with God. That guy knew what he was talking about. Prayer is one of the very best ways we can care for our soul because when we do so, it allows God to care for our soul as he walked with us. And we can do this. We can do this. And you can do this all throughout the day. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, pray at all times and on every occasion. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he tells us to pray continually. Oh, I know. I can hear you thinking. Ah, right. Uh, pray all the time, continually, 24-7. Give me a break, Schley. That's impossible. I got a job to do. I got kids to take care for. I got places to go. Uh, how can I pray continually? Easy does it, friend. Here's how you do it. Change your definition of prayer. It'll come as such a relief if you would just change your definition of prayer. Think of prayer less as an activity for God. Think of it less as an activity to God. Just acknowledge that God is with you wherever you go. You walk with him as you cruise around the grocery store, right? And you look around and you go, wow. Wow, Lord. How'd you come up with so many different kinds of you know, he didn't have to. He could have came up with one. Wow. So many different flavors. Sweet, sour, salty, spicy. Wow. And look at all these colors around here. You know, he didn't have to come up with all these colors. He could have came up with just one. We would have known. Wow. You think of continual prayers, practicing just the presence of God, and you do this privately in your own head. Don't do it out loud. Wow, God, look at all this food. No, don't do that. Don't do that. It's just you, you're just communicating, right? You're just, you're just doing this. You're walking through this life with God. You're communicating what's going on in your head and your heart. But you have to think about, you know, you got to slow down and think about this. Communicate with the God who loves you and who listens to you and who cares for your soul. You look at Jesus. Oh, he did this all the time. We're told that Jesus prayed when he was baptized. The spirit came down and then Jesus went to the desert. That word desert better translated a quiet place. Jesus went to a quiet place for 40 days where he prayed and he fasted. And he was so able to take on the temptations of the devil. And Jesus prayed when his life was getting crowded and draining. You see this all the time with Jesus. The busier and more demand Jesus became, the more, not the less, the more he withdrew to a quiet place to pray. It's true. Check it out. He would spend the whole day healing people, you know, people. 
They're exhausting. People, 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 and the people and their problems are just coming and coming and coming and coming at Jesus. And Jesus would do the work. He would. He was busy, but not hurried. For hours and hours at a time, Jesus would serve them and love them and listen to them. And then he would go off to a quiet place to pray. Sometimes he'd even have to sneak off. Hey, what's that over there? Is that a cardinal? And he would just come. Or maybe, you know, when they were still sleeping, Jesus would get up early in order to pray. But the thing is this, he, he not only wanted to do it, it seemed like he had to do it. Don't you think you do too? You look at Jesus. Jesus prayed when he faced important decisions. <laughs> when, he, when it came time to choose the 12 disciples, he first went out to a mountainside to pray. He had to find guidance. Jesus prayed when he was sad. Oh, his cousin John the Baptist was put in prison, later executed. And when Jesus heard the news, check it out. First thing he does, he withdrew to a solitary place, just probably to cry and be alone with his father. Jesus prayed when he needed the strength for his work. Jesus prayed when he was worried about the people he loved. Jesus prayed when he faced an insurmountable problem. Jesus was praying when they came to arrest him. Jesus prayed on the cross. Jesus prayed don't you think we need to pray? Oh, we do. Prayer unites the soul with God. Three miles an hour. Prayer unhurries the soul. Come to me, Jesus said, and I will give your soul rest. God wants to walk through your life with you. He wants relationship with you. And it's prayer that fosters this relationship, this practice of ongoing prayer is what helps us realize we're not alone. We have this ongoing presence of God in our lives. Prayer is what helps us grow in our relationship with God. Prayer slows us down in a good way. Peace comes when you pray. And the peace of God will be with you, Paul writes. Worries shrink when you pray. Doubts scatter when you pray, sin gets confessed and released and removed when you pray. And faith and hope and love grow. Things happen when you pray. Good things. So pray and don't worry about coming up with the right words. Pfft, nonsense. God is not concerned with that. He wants you, the real you that he made. He knows you. You're not going to fake him out with some fancy talk. Uh, use your own words or don't use any words. Sometimes we don't have the words. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. It's all right. 
I'll tell you, one of my most favorite ways to walk with God is by sitting in my chair. It's a recliner. I call it my prayer chair. It sits in the corner of my bedroom, and I get in that bad boy, and I like to recline it all the way back, and you get this thing like that. And you know what I do? I picture myself in the hand of God, you know? And I just rest. And maybe, you know, sometimes something will pop into my head that I want to express with God, but maybe not. Friends can do this with one another, you know. You can be with someone close to you and not feel the need to say anything. Married couples, you know this. So not saying anything is a great prayer. Even just five minutes. A challenge, find five minutes this week. Just five. To be alone with God and not say anything. I think intentionally spending five minutes with God is five minutes very well spent because it says something. It says something even though you don't say anything. What does it say? It says, I'm choosing to be with God. No words needed. But eventually you got to get out of the chair. I get it. You got to get some stuff done. And so let me give you three words to take with you. Three words. You can use these words all throughout the day as you walk with God. Three words. They're easy to remember. Here they are. Thanks, help, and wow. All right? Anne Lamont says our prayers keep bumping into these three big words. These three words are prayers of gratitude, dependence, and hope. Thanks, help. And wow, are three of my most favorite prayers. Each word is a prayer. You see something ordinary, but, but remarkable, like, like an Oreo cookie, you know? And you just go, huh? Or hot water coming out of the wall in the morning. Think about it. And you just... You know, oh, too cold. You just get a little, oh, too hot. And you turn it back a little, just right. Think about it. That's remarkable. And, or maybe it's a song that you hear, you know? You're having a little bit of chicken fried and a cold beer on a Friday night. Or a pair of jeans that fit just right. I hate that song. I can't stand it. It's my worst favorite song of all time. I, ugh. Like a third grader wrote that. No offense to third graders. Sorry. Sorry. That was really bad. Oh, man. I'm going to. But anyway, the point is you're in the middle of whatever that thing is that you just like. You know, you're just enjoying it. And you, and you just go, thanks, God. Thank you. I really like this. Thanks. For this, I'm grateful. That's another word, help. Great prayer. Great prayer. Help me, Lord. I don't get it. Help. Help. I don't understand. Help. I can't do this. Help. 
Fix this, Lord. Help me, Lord. I have sinned again. Help. I am afraid. Help. I feel alone. Help my child. Help my friend. Help those I love. Help that stranger over there. Help those people across the ocean. Help me with my unbelief. Help. I am totally dependent upon you, Lord. And then of course, then we get wow. Wow. I love wow. Wow. Good Lord, wow. <laughs> That's a great prayer. Good Lord, wow. Man. Oh, a friend of mine, there he is sitting right over there. He sent me this verse uh, from the message translation. I just love it. There it is. On your feet now, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourself into his presence. That is a wow verse right there. Applaud God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, Jesus, wow. You are amazing. You are awesome. Wow, just wow. Wow is a great prayer to pray. Put prayer into practice this week and, and, and feel what happens. All right? I want you to feel what happens, not see what happens. I want you to feel what happens. Thanks, help, wow. Try it throughout the day as you talk to yourself. You know, if you do this, uh, you know, <laughs> If you're used to talking to yourself, this shouldn't be like a big, you know, deal. Just, just direct that inner monologue to God. You see, you're talking to and you're walking with the one who made you and who saves you and who loves you. And he listens to every word and he honors every prayer. And so pray, thanks, help, wow, or come up with your own words. It's really fine. It doesn't matter what you say, just... Whatever you're thinking about. Talk about things that are, you're thankful for or things you're worried about or things that are bugging you or things that are wowing you. You put it into practice and feel what happens. Hmm. Care for your soul. And as you pray, God will care for you. Amen. Let's pray.